All right. Well, it is good to be with you this evening, and um, today we will be continuing our study in the Hall of Faith, where we've been studying, uh, when I've had the opportunity to speak over at Northwest, the um, different stories in the Hall of Faith, and right now, we've been going gradually through the, the story of Abraham. And so we're going to come upon a very pivotal moment in the life of Abraham. Of course, we know that he waited a long time for a son. I think it was approximately 25 years after God's uh, first promise of a son that, uh, um, that God finally gave him the son by his wife Sarah. He, he tried to do things his way and help God out. This is a human tendency we have to think that uh, we need to help God out. But this is what um, Abraham did. But now uh, we're going to talk tonight about how God, um, well, after God fulfilled this promise of Isaac, which we talked about last time, with the birth of Isaac, we're going to talk about God testing the faith of Isaac, or testing the faith of Abraham after Isaac was in the picture. But I want to start out by reading a couple verses from Hebrews chapter 11. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to um, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 17. You don't have to turn there. We're going to spend the bulk of our time in Genesis chapter 22. So if you just want to turn there and listen to these verses, you're more than welcome to do that. By faith Abraham, when he was tried, offered up Isaac, and he that had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said that in Isaac shall thy seed be called, accounting that God was able to raise him up even from the dead, from whence also he received him in a figure. So you have this situation where um, God told Abraham, Isaac is going to be your heir. He's going to provide you with a lineage that is so large that it's going to um, be, as big, be as great as the sands of the seashore. And then he says, as we'll get into in our passage, Go and sacrifice your son. But Abraham had the faith that God would raise Isaac up again if he indeed called him to ultimately sacrifice him. And to me, that's interesting because he wasn't necessarily banking on the fact that Isaac would be rescued from death. But he knew even in the Old Testament, somehow, through faith, that God had power over death and that God would raise him up so that he could fulfill his other promises to Abraham. I don't know about you, but I might have started to doubt God's other promises. If he tells me to kill my only son who was going to be my heir, I might start to say, well, maybe God you know, changed his mind or whatever. But we know God doesn't do that. So tonight, let's turn to Genesis chapter 22 and begin to look at our story 
for the evening, Genesis chapter 22. And uh, the first part is God calls, Abraham obeys. So Genesis chapter 22, verses 1 to 8. God calls, Abraham obeys. And it came to pass after these things that God did tempt Abraham and said unto Abraham, Abraham, and he said, Behold, here I am. And he said, Take now thy son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into a land of Moriah, and offer him there as a burnt offering upon one of the mountains, which I will tell thee of. And Abraham rose up early that morning, and saddled his ass, and took two of the young men with him, and Isaac his son, clay, and Isaac his son, and claved the wood for the burnt offering, and rose up and went to the place which God had told him. Then on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said unto his young men, Abide ye here with the ass, and I and the lad will go yonder and worship and come to you again. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it upon Isaac his son, and he took the fire in his hand and the knife and went both of them together. And Isaac spoke unto Abraham his father and said, My father. And he said, Here am I, my son. And he said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham said, My son, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. So they went, both of them, together. Now I want to point out here that just as in the Hebrews passage, Abraham doesn't say, wait here and I'm going to come back without Isaac. No, he says, we're going to go and we're going to worship and we're going to come back again. So he had the confidence that God was going to, as I said, restore Isaac to life, if indeed he allowed him to pass away. And, and what great faith that shows us, that if God gives us a, tells us what he's going to do in our lives, nothing can hinder God's plan. Now, often as human beings, we can get God's plan wrong, but nothing can hinder the plan that God ultimately has. So if he has a plan, if he's revealed a plan to you that he has for you, have faith that he will bring it to pass. Um, and then also, another thing I wanted to mention is, it doesn't show um, hesitation on Abraham's part. Um, as far as we know, Abraham left the next day, early in the morning. He doesn't say, God, give me three more days with Isaac. He doesn't say, uh, let me think about it, Lord, and I'll get back to you at my earliest convenience, which would probably be never in this case. No, he rises up early in the morning to do what God asked him to do. These are some of the reasons why Abraham is called a friend of God and why it is said of him in an earlier passage that Abraham believed God and that it was accounted to him for righteousness. If someone could look up 1 John 4, 9, and 10 um, by way of cross-reference, that would be great. Whoever uh, gets to it, if you could stand and read it for us, 1 John 4, 9, and 10.
By this the love of God was manifested in us, that God has sent his only begotten Son into the world, so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. And I picked this verse because this is really a picture of what God would later do for us when he sent his son Jesus to die for us. It was a substitutionary death, and we will get into that further as we go on through this passage, because there is a substitute for Isaac. We're all thankful for that, because out of Isaac's lineage came Jesus, the Lion of the tribe of Judah. So, um, just a couple other things. Abraham's immediate obedience, Abraham's faith, that God would provide for Isaac to return with him. And uh, um, let's see. And Abraham, you know, he tells his servants, I don't know how many were with him, but he tells them to wait for him because he is coming back. And I just see a lot of all these different things that combine to show the faith that Jesus, that Abraham had in Almighty God. And um, it's just so humbling to read these stories of faith that can encourage us. Abraham was not a different kind of human than us. He was very human. He made mistakes. He laughed when God told him he would have a son. You know, it's kind of, kind of interesting. Then when Sarah finds out she's going to have a son, she laughs. They both laughed. They both had a very human response to this promise of God. But yet God had mercy on them and allowed them to be redeemed from their flaws and be made righteous because of their belief in who God was and what a blessing that is. Warren Wearsby writes, Peter T. Forsyth was right when he said, the first duty of every soul is to find not its freedom, but its master. There's an old song that had lyrics to this end. It said, you've got to serve somebody. It may be the Lord, or it may be the devil, but you've got to serve somebody. And the point being that we, as human beings, were ingrained with a desire to serve. The question is not whether we will serve, but who you will serve. Joshua said it that way. He said, choose you this day who you will serve, either the gods of this land that you are going into, or the one true God. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. He doesn't give serving nothing as an option. Why? Because we have an ingrained desire to serve. All right. So God calls, Abraham obeys. Second point, if you're taking notes, Abraham goes all the way. We'll see in this second section, Genesis 22, 9-12, that Abraham does not waver. 
I don't know if he wavered in his thoughts, but in his actions, he doesn't waver. And they came to the place God told them of, and Abraham built an altar there, and laid the wood in order, and bound Isaac his son, and laid him on the altar upon the wood. And Abraham stretched forth his hand, and took the knife to slay his son. And the angel of the Lord called unto him out of heaven, and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here am I. And he said, Lay not thine hand upon the lad, neither do thee any harm, anything unto him. For now I know that thou fearest God, seeing that thou hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, from me. Now again, a couple observations of this section. First of all, they came to the place that God told Abraham to go. Now God, Abraham could have said, well, is there a way that we can make this trip longer? Can we, you know, can we go around the long way? When you're anticipating going somewhere, you look for shortcuts. Uh, when you don't want to do something, you sometimes go the opposite direction, or maybe you try to delay the inevitable, but we don't see that here. We see him going all the way, and he binds his son Isaac and puts him on the wood, and he raises the knife, and he's about to plunge it in. Because this is what God told him to do. And again, I do not know if I would be able to do that. It's humbling to think that Abraham was following to this extent. And I often wonder what was going on in Isaac's mind, because he had already asked his father, where's the lamb for the burnt offering? And we don't see him resisting at all either. Um, But we see Abraham going all the way and God um, shows him that uh, and God comes to him and says, now I know that you will do everything I ask you to do. Now, I, I kind of puzzled over that a little bit because God already knew, but I think God wanted Abraham to know that God knew that he would follow him completely. You know, there was a time in my life where um, I was resisting God and resisting his call upon my life, and then I began to preach um, to others, and I began to talk about God's work in my life, and then God put me through another time of trial where things seemed to be going wrong, and he said to me very, very literally in various ways through interactions with others and other ways that, hey, you've been preaching this message. This was in my late 20s. He said, hey, you've been preaching this message for 14 years, and now I'm testing you to see whether, so that you will know that you know that you know that you believe it. That it's not just a message, but that it's real in your life. And sometimes God has to do that. Because he always knows what he's doing. He doesn't change his mind. It wasn't like all of a sudden he had an epiphany that Abraham was this great guy. But what he was doing was, he was giving Abraham a test And Abraham 
was able by God's grace to pass that test. If we can look at Acts 26, verse 14. Acts 26, verse 14. So we have a situation with Saul where he's kind of doing the opposite. He's, he's resisting God. And God comes to him and says, stop resisting me and follow me. He approaches Saul and as Saul responds to him, he has a similar response. Remember, we just read that Abraham said twice in this passage so far, when God called to him, he said, here I am. And as Saul goes through this transformative experience on the road to Damascus, the first thing he does when he comes to conversion is what? He says, Lord, what would you have me to do? And I think often when we preach the gospel, we preach about how God can give us eternal life and he wants to give us great gifts and he wants to bless us and that's very true. It's not wrong. But we often preach it as if it's only what God can give us. Instead of saying, we need to ask God, what would you have me to do? When God called to Samuel, what did Eli tell Samuel to say? He said, Go lay down, and if God speaks to you again, say, therefore, speak, Lord, for your servant hears. So as we're preaching the gospel, I think a complete preaching of the gospel is one in which we talk about the fact that God has a plan for each life. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do works which God had before ordained that we should walk in them. God had this ministry opportunity at Rust Haven Homes planned for me before I was even born. And he had a plan for me to walk in and I wasted nine years of my youth fighting him and believing a lie that I couldn't serve him as much as I wanted to because of my disability. And it was wrong because I needed to let him do the work. You see, I was kind of right because I realized I couldn't do it, which is the first step. But the part I was leaving out for a good part of my teenage years, or my childhood to early teenage years, was the fact that when I admitted that I couldn't, I opened up space for a God who could. I have this little poem here. It goes like this. When our captain bids us go, tis not ours to murmur, no. He that gives the sword and shield chooses to the battlefield. Where we are to fight the foe. So, 
he tells us go to where to go. He get, he equips us, and he chooses where we are to fight for him. Well, I'm I'm just gonna read this poem one more time. Where a captain bids us go, tis not ours to murmur. No, he that gives the sword and shield chooses too the battlefield where we are to fight the foe. So God calls us, he equips us, and he puts us where he wants us. Man plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. Okay, God provides a substitute, point four, point three. Genesis 22, 13, and 14 say, And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering in the stead of his son. And Abraham called the name of the place Jehovah-Jireh, as it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord, it shall be seen. So God provides a ram, and Abraham calls the name of the Lord, the name of the place, Jehovah Jireh, for the Lord will provide. And what a wonderful thing that God not only provided a substitute for Isaac, but he provided a substitute for us in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Sajo already mentioned that he became sin for us who knew no sin. What a wonderful truth. 2 Corinthians 1, 9 and 10. 2 Corinthians 1, 9 and 10. If someone could look that up and read it for us. Indeed, we had the sentence of death within ourselves in order that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead, who delivered us from so great a peril of death, and will deliver us, we we have set our hope, and he will yet deliver us. So again, uh, this passage refers to the substitutionary work of Jesus Christ, and it kind of refers to a different phases of deliverance because Jesus delivered me the day when I was five years old and I trusted him as my Lord and Savior. But he's also going to deliver me from this corruptible body that's stuck in a wheelchair. And he's going to give me an incorruptible body that doesn't know pain, that's perfect, that can walk on the streets of gold, that will walk on the new heaven and the new earth and maybe even fly. We don't know all the details. All I know is it's going to be a perfect body. And it's going to be better than anything I can even imagine in my finite mind. And what a, what a blessing that is. The small boy had been considerably late for dinner. One particular day, his parents had warned him to be on time, but he arrived later than ever. He found his parents already seated at the table about to start eating. 
Quickly he sat at his place, then noticed what was set before him, a slice of bread and a, and a glass of water. There was silence as he sat, staring at his plate, crushed. Suddenly he saw his father's hand reach over, pick up his plate, and set it before himself. Then his father put his own full plate in front of his son, smiling warmly as he made the exchange. When the boy became a man, he said, All my life I've known what God was like by what my father did that night. That's what God has done for us. He's taken our plate of bread and our glass of water and he has replaced it with a full and rich meal. And like what David did for Mephibosheth, we have the privilege to sup at the king's table daily because of his substitutionary atonement for our sins. All I have to do, because I'm a believer in Jesus Christ, is bow my head, and I am in the presence of the throne room of God. I don't have to worry about being called unworthy because Jesus, my substitute, was deemed worthy. The, the hymn goes this way. When Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within, upward I look to see him there who made an end of all my sin. Because the sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free, for God the just was satisfied to look on him and pardon me. None of us deserve to be here, but through him we can. Our fourth and final point of the evening, God will reaffirm his promise to Abraham. Remember, God told Abraham that Everybody's going to be blessed through your son. Then he tells him, sacrifice your son. Give him up. Then he spares him. And he says this in Genesis 22, 15 19. And the angel of the Lord called unto Abraham the second time. And he said, by myself have I sworn, saith the Lord. For because thou hast done this thing, and hath not withhold thy son, thine only son, that in blessing I will bless thee, and in multiplying I will multiply thy seed as the stars of heaven, and as the sand which is upon the seashore, and thy seed shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because thou hast obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned unto his young men, and they rose up and went together to Beersheba, and Abraham dwelt at Beersheba. So Abraham and Isaac went back to the servants, just as Abraham had said. And God reaffirms once again the promise that he made that all nations of the earth would be blessed through Isaac. And of course we know that Isaac begot Jacob, and Jacob begot what would become the nation of Israel. And then from the nation of Israel arose the leader that would establish David's throne forever, 
Jesus. What a wonderful truth. If someone could read for us quickly Revelation chapter 11, verse 15. Revelation eleven fifteen. get it, go ahead and read it for us. And the seventh angel sounded, and there arose loud voices in heaven, saying, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. Remember I talked about how David came from Israel, and he became the king of Israel, and God told David, your, your kingdom will never perish. It will, it will go on forever. Well, the only way that that could happen is if an eternal being, an eternal person, took his throne, and that was Jesus. One day, Jesus is going to come, he's going to set everything right in the world, and he's going to reign forever. And we're going to have the privilege of seeing him, and actually physically sitting under his reign. That's the only way that a one-world government will ever work, is when Jesus is on the throne. And God keeps his promises. I want to close with this story. It talks about the importance of promise-keeping. Booker T. Washington describes meeting an ex-slave from Virginia in his book Up From Slavery. I found that this man had made a contract with his master two or three years previous to the Emancipation Proclamation to the effect that the slave was permitted to buy himself by paying so much year, so much per year for his body. And while he was paying for himself, he was permitted to labor where and for whom he pleased. Finding that he could secure better wages in Ohio, he went there. When freedom came, he was still in debt to his master some $300. Notwithstanding that the Emancipation Proclamation had freedom from any obligation to his master, this black man walked the greater portion of the distance back to where his old master lived in Virginia and placed the last dollar with interest in his hands. In talking to me about this, the man told me that he knew that he did not have to pay the debt, but he had given his word to the master, and his word he had never broken. He felt he could not enjoy his freedom till he had fulfilled his promise. Jesus made a promise to his father, too. We don't read of the exact com conversation, but at some point in eternity past, God had this plan to send Jesus in the fullness of time to pay for the sins of mankind, and Jesus went. And what did he say his purpose was on life? He said, I came to do not my own will, but the will of my Father who sent me. And it says that he endured the cross for the joy that was set before him. What was the joy? The joy was that in the completing of the task, he would free us. And he set his face like a flint to Jerusalem, even though he was going to Jerusalem to be killed. He's like, I have to go to Jerusalem because I have to do the will of my Father. And because of what he did for us, we can enjoy our freedom. We don't have to worry about being in debt. 
I owed a debt I could not pay. He paid a debt he did not owe. And because of that, we can be here today in freedom. My prayer for you is that you have embraced your substitute, Jesus Christ. Just as Isaac needed a substitute on that altar, on the mountain in Moriah, so we need a substitute because we are without God of all men most miserable. But the substitute is there. The Bible says that the cross is foolishness to them that perish. But it also says that the gospel is the power of Christ to all who believe. This world is a sinking ship. Jesus is the lifeboat. Maybe you have never climbed aboard. But my prayer is that today would be the day that you would climb aboard, that you would embrace Jesus Christ. He says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So will you take him at his word? And unlike so many humans, he keeps his promises. He, he fulfilled so many promises to his people so we can believe that the promises that are yet to be fulfilled will be. What a blessing. There's a land beyond the river that we call the sweet forever and we only reach its shores by faith's decree. One by one we'll gain the portal there to dwell with the immortals when they ring those golden bells for you and me. Don't you hear the bells now ringing? Can't you hear the angels singing? It's a glory hallelujah jubilee in that far off sweet forever just beyond the shining river when they ring those golden bells for you and me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your promises. We thank you that they are yes and amen. We ask that you would forgive us for the times that we don't take you at your word and that we would do, do so with more regularity and with more confidence that we would approach you boldly for mercy and help in time of need. Lord, we pray for Mer Meredith Veenstra, Lord, and we just lift this little one up to you. We know that you love the little ones, for you've said, suffer the little children to come unto me, for of such is the kingdom of God. And so we just pray that you would touch her body and heal her. We pray for Bernadette that you would Help her to reschedule her ACL surgery and that that would go well as well. And we just pray for, you know, their whole family. They've gone through a lot lately, Lord, and we just lift them up to you. We pray for Jeannie Rickman and we pray for all the other requests that were mentioned. 
um, that I can't remember, but we know that you know each one by name and you know their situations, Lord, and we put them in your hands. Now, Lord, I pray blessing upon the people here that you would make your face shine upon them and give them peace. In Jesus' name, amen.